Hi, welcome to Lavender, Liberty, and Lemonade. I'm your host, Hannah Ibanez, and this episode is going to be all about the Stand Your Ground Law. What it is, how it's used, and frankly, my opinion on why it needs to go. We're also going to be talking with a special guest, Counselor Michelle Rayner, about the murder of Marquise McLaughlin last week. The shooting of a black man in front of his family by a white man over a parking spot as he was backing away from the situation, and this is all captured on surveillance. Pinellas County Sheriff Bob Galtieri refused to make an arrest, holding a press conference citing the Stand Your Ground law. And State Attorney Bernie McCabe, well, he's failed to file charges in what has quickly become yet another national example of the mass injustices taking place in Florida under the premise of the Stand Your Ground law. Now, I just want to back it up for a second and talk about what the Stand Your Ground law is. So the idea of self-defense has pretty much always been available as a criminal defense for confrontations that are both fatal and non-fatal. Traditionally, self-defense imposes a duty on a person to retreat before using force if safe retreat is available. The Stand Your Ground law, referred to by some as the shoot first law, removes this duty to retreat. So essentially, when it's safe for a person or it might be safe to walk away from a dangerous confrontation, the Stand Your Ground law authorizes and validates a person's decision to instead commit murder. So my opinion of the Stand Your Ground law is that it obviously threatens the safety of the public. It also encourages armed vigilantism and it gives civilians in public places more leeway to shoot another person than the U.S. military gives its soldiers in war zones. These laws are not surprisingly also associated with clear increases in homicides. So, under the traditional self-defense law, a person can use force to defend himself or herself or themselves anywhere. But when they're outside the home, they can't use force that is likely to kill or seriously injure someone if there's a safe way to avoid that situation which is, in my sense, in my opinion, excuse me, very sensible. So self-defense always gives you the right to protect yourself. If it ends up that violence to the extent of the person is murdered is used, that's going to be a question for the jury, and that's definitely available under traditional self-defense. You're also allowed to kill somebody without needing to assess the safety of a situation if you're inside your home. So if somebody is breaking into your home in the middle of the night, the castle doctrine is what it's called, protects your decision to shoot and kill. So in this way, the traditional self-defense law respects both a person's right to self-defense and the sanctity of human life because it's basically saying if there's a better way to handle the situation short of taking a human life, you should take that route. I am in agreement with that. To give you a little history on the Stand Your Ground law, not surprisingly, we start with the NRA, the National Rifle Association. In 2005, the NRA helped draft and pass Stand Your Ground law legislation in Florida. Shortly after that, the American Legislative Exchange Council adopted a model law based on it, and between 2005 and 2011, the NRA and ALEC successfully pushed Stand Your Ground legislation in 22 states across the country. And for those of you who have seen Ava DuVernay's documentary, The 13th, 
that is the same corporation that is referenced there with uh, pushing legislation through to represent big corporate interests and not surprisingly, the NRA's interests. The Stand Your Ground law kind of hit a national stage in 2012 with the killing of Trayvon Martin. We know that states that have Stand Your Ground laws see increases in homicide rates. In Florida, after Stand Your Ground law passed, homicides that were considered justified tripled. Most egregiously, the Stand Your Ground law has disproportionate impacts on communities of color. That's going to bring us to the conversation that we're going to have with Councilor Rayner about Marquise McLaughlin. Florida Stand Your Ground cases with people of color who are victims are actually half as likely to lead to convictions compared to those with white victims. When white shooters kill black victims, which is exactly what we have here, the resulting homicides are deemed justifiable 11 times more frequently than when the shooter is black and the victim is white. Shortly after the murder of Mr. McLaughlin, I posted an article about it with the caption that stand your ground law is trash. To my surprise, several attorneys uh, came to the law's defense, so to speak. Um, Interestingly enough, first by just quoting the language of the law for me. (laughs) Thank you very much. I, I have previously read that. I am familiar. But also, you know, just going into how it was a facially neutral law and... I would have preferred not to speak for them in their viewpoints, so I just will give you a synopsis. But when I reached out to see if they would be willing to sit down and have a podcast conversation with me about it, I received no response. And I was just shocked to see that parents, people with families, people you know who consider themselves religious or spiritual, would come to the defense of a law or would want to live in a community where you know, the message is sent that if you're in a situation that you perceive to be dangerous and you have the opportunity to safely leave and go home, we want you to know that it is okay to take out a gun and shoot and kill that person preemptively. That to me just blows my mind that anybody would ever want to live in such a state of what I feel is lawlessness. So... I understand that the law will be useful to me as an attorney in my practice and I will use it and rely upon it to exonerate clients throughout my career as long as it is a law that is in effect. But as a human being in the world, I just fully stand behind my original feelings on the law, which is that the law is trash. It is. It's just trash. It's a violent, barbaric, very basic, unevolved attitude towards people in the community. And I just feel that self-defense is more than sufficient for us. So I'm very lucky to be having this conversation with a woman who is spearheading the efforts to see the Marquise McLaughlin case filed on and charged for the murder that it is, but also to see that efforts are made towards amending or even repealing the Stand Your Ground law in Florida. So I have the honor of being here with counselor at law, Michelle Rayner. She is the partner over at Rayner Robinson, a Bay Area firm. 
Michelle has been spearheading efforts to bring Marquise McLaughlin's murder to justice and to a national stage. She's been speaking to multiple news outlets, organizing protests, and calling upon the local community to apply pressure on the powers that be. So Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, I really appreciate it. We really appreciate your work. Could you tell our listeners about the Marquise McLaughlin case? Give us a factual basis, if you will. So the factual basis is that on July uh, 19th, 2018, Mr. McLaughlin and his partner, Brittany Jacobs, uh, pulled into the Circle A convenience store. With them, they had their three young children, Marquise, who is five, Marley, who is three, and Marshawn, who is four months. Mr. McLaughlin and his five-year-old went into the store uh, to purchase you know, snacks and whatnot. Uh, at that time, while Mr. McLaughlin was in the store, Michael Draca pulled up to the Circle A. It should be noted that Ms. Jacobs was parked in a handicapped spot. Now, the the spot itself is not necessarily technically considered handicapped. And I know because I grew up in Clearwater. I used to go to that store all the time. Wow. My, Michael Draca then proceeded to get out of his vehicle and start uh, an alt- a verbal altercation with Miss Jacobs. Um, he was walking around her vehicle, he was yelling at her, he was cursing at her, and if you actually stop the video frame by frame, you will see a point where he's pointing at her. So um, witnesses walk were watching this and they walk into the store and to alert like, hey, someone's like out there messing with this young woman. So Marquise walks out of the store and if you actually see, um, the frame-by-frame video when Miss Jacobs is still in the car, you actually see Michael Draca actually about to open her vehicle door. And so Marquise did what anybody would do in that situation with their loved one or their partner. He was like, get away from her. He pushed her. He pushed him. He pushed him. And when he pushed him, it was done. Um, However, Michael Draca waited about four seconds. You do see um, Mr. McLaughlin take about four four steps back, and Mr. McLaughlin was shot in his side. There are reports that he was shot in his chest, and I think those reports are so to... um, to you know bolster the story that it was self-defense so but he was actually shot in his side he was walking away and um he was shot in front of his partner and his three children um he actually went back into the store where his son was and his son was screaming daddy daddy and law enforcement was called and michael draca who for all intents and purposes murdered um marquise mclaughlin was not taken to the taken down to the station for questioning was not fingerprinted was actually released and allowed to go home to his bed that night wow oh my so i know that you are a pinellas county native and your family has a long history of uh civil rights work here Correct. in the community how did you get involved with the Marquise McLaughlin case? Well, what happened was, is that on a Friday, the Friday, um, so July 20th, I was interviewed by Bay News 9 with regard to just stand your ground. And I hadn't really heard about what had occurred. And they asked me, oh, well, you know, is he going to be arrested? What are your thoughts? I was like, oh, most certainly he's going to be arrested. Right. I can understand that, you know, maybe they just want to do their initial investigation. But certainly they want to be arrested. And um, I found out after my interview, he was not arrested. So then um, a couple of uh, Bay Area or Clearwater um, 
activists and pastors called me and like, hey, we're having this visual on Sunday. And, you know, I said, well, we would like for you to come. So I went and um, also I'm in a sorority, Delta Sigma Theta. So we're really socially active and socially aware. So we went and um, so my uh, line sister, my sorority sister and another pastor connected me with Michael McLaughlin, who is Marquise's um, father. And that's how we were able to um, connect. But I was just going on GP because, you know, this is wrong, you know, and I'm from here and it it cannot stand. And so that's how I got connected with, um, Mr. McLaughlin and then, um, Marquise's mother, Monica, then ultimately, you know, attorney Crump and, um, Ms. Jacobs. Can you talk to us a little bit about everything that's happened in the aftermath of the murder, um, starting from the press conference that Sheriff Paul Galtieri, um, issued and I don't want to get too much into the press conference, but I, I, here's, let me say this. And, and, you know, Hannah, you know, you are, um, you know, you're a criminal defense attorney. When I have clients that assert stand your ground and they assert self-defense in any type of, whether it is a simple battery, whether right. it is a domestic battery, whether it's an ag battery, you know, ultimately a murder, whenever I have clients that assert that defense that does not mean they're not arrested. Right. That means that they are arrested, that they get to, they, they, you know, I talk to them either in custody or they bond themselves out. And, you know, all this, you know, I think people are trying to give the sheriff an out. Oh, well, you know, he could be sued. And yes, the statute says that he could be sued, but I would like to know who has sued him. I would like to know who has not made that call and, you know, made that call to, you know, sue him and do do those kinds of things and what's so interesting to me is that i feel like a lot of this could have been alleviated because i know st pete police department has this policy that if they think it's a stand your ground issue what they will do is they will call the on-call assistant state attorney and they will have them come out to the scene they will walk them through the facts and then they will make they will allow them to make the factual basis so if law enforcement was unsure if they thought that they weren't going to be able to make an arrest determination they call the on-call assistant state attorney for everything else you're telling me you can't call that person to ask them to come down or give them relay the facts to them and see what what determination that they would make and so we have the press conference, and I think what's so crazy is that you have people that have lost their child and have lost their partner and have lost their um, um, their father, and your the sheriff like laughs like in the middle of his press conference like, well, you know, Marquise wasn't violent, <laughs> you know. I'm like. It's so callous, and that's where in this county, you know, people are like, this isn't a race thing, and I'm like, it's yes, absolutely it a race is. thing. It's oh absolutely God. a race thing, you know? And because I know that if Marquise was um, white and Michael Draco was black, Michael Draco would have been taken in. Absolutely, without question. I mean, not for nothing. I, I have cases where, you know, I wonder why isn't the sheriff worried about being illegally sued here? Right. I mean, this is, and it's not, you know, a one-off. It's not a rare mm-hmm. occasion when I think that of a case. Right. I have no doubts that if the only factors that were switched about this case were the race of the parties, no one would be having this conversation. Right. No one would be having this conversation. You're so, absolutely right. You're absolutely right. What's been really, really cool to see about this case is that the United States Congress has become mm-hmm. involved. Talk to us a little bit about that and how that feels. It's so crazy because I had gotten a, a, a call from 
uh, Congressman Christ and Attorney wow. Crump had gotten a call from Senator Nelson, and they're kind of like, what can we do? Wow. And we're just like, pressure, you know, whatever that looks like to you. And to not only have, you know, Congressman Christ and um, and Senator Nelson, but then to have Senator Harris and Senator Booker and yeah. then Representative Hastings all, you know, five, you know, powerhouses come together yes, and say – this is not right, and it's pressure. Because here's the thing: our, our what we've been saying throughout this is that pressure bursts pipes, and and really, and and we say bust because we are from we are the country, but um, <laughs> but pressure bust pipes in the sense of you have to put pressure, yeah. you have to put pressure, Absolutely. and you know, I, I'm confident. I want to say that I'm confident that Bernie McCabe will indict. You know, I have people, Oh, he will. I've had people say he won't. And I, and I, and I've talked to people that know him and that know that office. And I know that office very well. I, I, I'm very confident that they will indict because how can you not? How can you not? You have a murder on film. <laughs> like, how can you not? Like, how can you not indict? How can you not say, Oh, you know, this is, you know, Murder and and as I said in my press conference, if he doesn't indict, he's going to be sanctioning a murder. And I don't think that Bernie McCabe wants that on his hands. I hope not. I sincerely hope not. Definitely not. Talk to us a little bit about what your feelings are about Stand Your Ground, and if there are any ultimate goals um, overlapping with the Marquise McLaughlin case and seeking justice there with the Stand Your Ground law in general. So, I mean, obviously, we know Stand Your Ground was enacted in about 2005, mm -hmm. and since then, it has taken so many forms. It has been revised so many times. It has been amended. It's been taken away, and um, I just, I don't think it's a really good law. I agree. I think that you could strengthen the self-defense statute right, a little bit more. Law. With case law, you can strengthen it a little bit more, or if you feel like you have to have the Stand Your Ground law, why, where, let's talk about the duty to retreat. Let's talk about the duty to de-escalate. Let's talk about why is the burden shifted to the state? Then that makes it hard because you have to prove a negative. Well, we all grew up knowing that you you know what your teacher say. You can't prove something. You can't disprove something that's not true. So it's one of those things of, you know, as a defense attorney, I've used stand your ground right. and it works and I've been able to, you know, be successful. I've won some, I've won some, I've lost some. However, as a human and as a black yes. woman, I can't, and, and, and someone who has like black family members and people of color in my life, I cannot stand by and say that this is the best, you know, iteration of this law. I feel like there can, it can be what you need it to be without this what we have going absolutely. on absolutely absolutely i think that it is such a normalization yes of like street violence you yes know, people just taking and uh, for what right and the castle doctrine in the in yeah. like, like i mean you're good <laughs> like the castle doctrine outside in public like me i understand if someone's coming to my house most certainly right. you got to do what right. you got to do but i got i get mad over that, a parking spot right i mean because if that's the case i mean i get mad when i'm driving i get mad when i'm doing all these things like what what are what's really going on here why criminalize any sort of violence if you're sitting here legalizing it correct you know, why send people to anger management classes when they come through with batteries right you know why have people go to treatment 
you know, to work through issues and the responses right. to things if you're going to turn around and have a law that validates that kind of behavior. It makes no sense. Right. And you talk about gun rights versus gun responsibility. And I think gun rights is like, okay, we get it. Everyone, you have the right second amendment, but there's also should be responsible. So my, so my position is, is that, okay, if you have, you know, a concealed weapons permit and you pull your gun inappropriately, that's a crime. Right. If you know, um, if you have a concealed weapons permit and you take a shot and you kill someone like Michael Drake, did that's a crime not just murder but it's on top of that like where also the gun responsibility laws that you know even for example we know down here that people are you know leaving their car doors open and they may have their pistol in the car and then people are using it yes oh so you're telling me i should victimize no but there should be some responsibility yes. as well you can't just have all these rights with no responsibility a hundred percent i mean and so interesting because i think of the trayvon martin case which is mm -hmm. an intersection of both the stand your ground law, but, but before that, gun responsibility, because right. George Zimmerman had been previously convicted mm -hmm. of battering a law enforcement officer, and he was allowed to walk around with a concealed weapon on his body. Right. Cut to the day when he had the interaction with Trayvon Martin, and here we are. So gun responsibility does absolutely go hand in hand with stand your ground. And it seems like right now, it's just a little bit of the Wild West in Florida being just this lawless state with right. with, with regard to guns. And it's so crazy because, um, you know, obviously, you know, Attorney Crump was on um, the Trayvon Martin case. And he and I have had really long conversations how this really does mirror the Trayvon Martin case. And yet and still here, we have a video, unlike, we're, mm. unlike what we did in Trayvon's case. And we're still can't even get an arrest. We still can't even get... Um, a, a, you know, any type of justice on that front. And I will tell you, um, like I said, I represent the parents and to hold a man who is a man's man who does not cry yesterday at a funeral and hug him and him break down in my shoulder because he's bearing his only child, his only son, his only child. How are you feeling going through this emotionally traumatic case for the community and for yourself? It is. You know, I don't think I've really processed it. I think I'm just going, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I understand y'all gonna be like, tell her self care. I get it. I know <laughs> it. Um, um, so I have, I actually slept last night. Um, but you know, getting two to three to four hours of sleep because, you know, I have a practice on top of this right, as well. Right. So I still have a duty to my clients. Um, it's very difficult because I, don't understand it. There's nothing I can say to his family. Right. There's nothing I can say to his partner. There's nothing I can say when I'm playing with his kids. And mm. to know that his life was snatched. To watch a mother who gave birth to her child have to close his casket and know that casket will never be open. And this person, and I don't, I don't think he deserves to be a person, is walking around mm -hmm or wherever he is, because there's questions about actually where he is right now. And he is going to sleep. He's eating what he wants to eat. And if he has loved ones, he's being able to talk to them. He's free. And Marquise is not here with his family. I and my law partner and all so many more of us attended a funeral yesterday that we had no business attending. That never should have happened. That's so unbelievably heartbreaking for those children who also had to watch it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can't even imagine the trauma that, that, that that's causing everybody. And mm -hmm. I know that the legal community 
is so lucky to have you. Well, thank you. I appreciate um, that. Because, you know, you are making moves and in ways that are obviously coming at a personal sacrifice. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, you know, and it's really, I have a really wonderful partner. She's amazing. So she's definitely been kind of supporting me. And then my law partner is just kind of like whatever you want me to do. And, you know, and just friends of mine who kind of stepped into the gap, like covering hearings, doing yeah. this, doing these kinds of things. And it is one of those things that, um, you know, uh, attorney crump talked a little bit about my mom you know i get it honestly like my mother um was one of the first students to go to usf or first black students rather mm-hmm. and um my mother lost her scholarship to fan because she was too radical and mm. you walk in my mom's house there's a picture of jesus and malcolm right? <laughs> you know so so you know i get it you know i spent my saturday mornings you know a lot of kids watched cartoons i watched eyes on the prize Look. i watched all these civil rights um documentaries because my mom was like you will know where you came from you will know the sacrifices that were made to get you here and you know the bible says too much is given much is required and i cannot stand by and you know i've been saying about this marquise mclaughlin case about marquise's case i will not rest and i mean that that and that means i will not that means if i have to call in favors, talk to people. Right. I will not rest. I If I have to help the state make their case, which is so crazy because I'm a right? criminal defense I'm attorney. Same. I'm saying, girl. Same. I'm like, file those charges. They're like, who are you? I'm like, you heard me. <laughs> right. Like, normally I'm like, oh, so you want to file a charge. So what's what we're going to do? But I am. But if I have to help the state, if I have to bring them witnesses, if I have to bring them affidavits, I have to send them witness statements to make their case to arrest to and indict and arrest this man and ultimately get a conviction, that's what I will do. And this is, can we just say this? And I mean, and I'm not a prosecutor, but if I was a prosecutor, I would have to be upset with Galtieri. Let me tell you why I would be upset. Yeah. First off, you're tainting my jury pool. Right. Secondly, you're giving any halfway decent defense attorney the ability to poke holes in our case. Right. If I'm a prosecutor, I'm going to be fire mad. Yeah, keep it tight. Just say you ain't going to arrest him. All the stuff you're talking about, please believe when this goes to trial, because we're going to believe that this is going to go to trial because the family's not going to be in agreement with any kind of deal. So when this goes to trial, any halfway decent defense attorney is going to be able to say, well, you didn't do this. You didn't do this. Well, Sheriff, you said this. Let me subpoena the sheriff. Come on. Really? Right. What can we do what can listeners do to contribute to this cause this movement right now first off is pressure pressure on bernie mccabe um calling um he's saying that he um wants people to write letters so i have a form letter that if they want to contact uh, info at rainerrobinson.com we will send it out to you um you can just drop your information in there also your re- state representatives and your um state senators call them mm-hmm. also i'm a big believer in direct action i'm a big believer in organizing and protesting yes. so when i say direct action i mean if it takes shutting down the streets you know, I have a big, if we don't get no justice, you don't get no peace. Yep. Um, yes, so, no justice, no, no peace. peace. Right. Absolutely. And, and so I'm a big believer in, in that. I'm a big believer 
and that the government, the people should not be afraid of the government. The government should be yes. afraid of the people. And so I'm a big believer that, you know, that is a way to resist if that's kind of your thing, you know, going to these, you know, town hall meetings, making your voices heard. And they're young people who are listening. You getting involved in politics, it doesn't matter. You don't, don't let older people say, oh, no, you getting involved, you making the change in your yes. city. Because here's the thing, the NRA and these older white, straight white males decided they wanted to stand your ground. Right. And, you know, let's fight that power and yes. let's put people in office who are progressive. And so and obviously vote. Yes, voting is very important because also Sheriff Galtieri is an elected position. It's not he ain't nobody appoint him to yep. that. Bernie McCabe is an elected yep. position. He's been there for 30 something years. I'm 36 years old. So he's got to have been there. He's been in the office for 30, Too at long. least 36 years. And then there's. Then from what I'm hearing, you know, when he steps down, it's going to be more of the same. Absolutely. They, you know, you plan your, your successor and interest. Right. Enough of that. Right. We need new blood. We right. need new ideas. We need new opinions. We need new laws. And the, and that's why I so admire um, Aaron Masayala over yes. in Orlando. I mean, I've, you know, I had some time, to, I had an opportunity to spend some time with her. She's a very fair, legal-minded. And when she was making the decision about the death penalty, it wasn't because someone told her to. She was like, I'm looking at the facts. I'm looking at the case. I'm looking at the law as it's written. It doesn't work. Right. It just doesn't work. And you have to have people who are not afraid to stand up. And so, and it's important to vote. And whether it's, you know, Andrew Gillum, Chris King. So we need to get somebody who is a governor that is progressive. So, I mean, those are the things that I would say. There's so many things. But there's so many things that I would say with regard to that. And it's really getting involved in making your voice heard. Because here's the thing. You know, Marquise McLaughlin's death should not be in vain. Mm -hmm. And we are working to make sure that it is not in vain. Amen. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for the work that you're doing. Thank oh. you for driving down this early Sunday morning <laughs> no to be problem. here and talk with me after coming from a funeral yeah. and, no you know, problem. running around crazy. Uh, we are, uh, you know, leaders like you are the reason why I know that the world will change well, and it'll change you. for the better. And thank you, thank you for being Don't make me cry, girl. Don't make me cry. I've been like, <laughs> on, I've been like so emotional. But thank you. And it's, you know, for me, it is, it is not, you know, about the cameras. Everyone's like, how does it feel? And I was like, it, do, it won't feel right until, and it'll never feel right, but it won't feel right until Micah Draca is convicted of Marquise McLaughlin's murder. Because yeah. all we are asking for is equal justice. All we are asking for is the same treatment that anyone else would get in this situation. And it's very clear and evident that Marquise McLaughlin and his family did not receive that treatment. Yes. Please head over to lavliblem.com in order to download the letter that you can send over to the office of Bernie McCabe. A lot of the facts I shared about the Stand Your Ground law at the beginning of this episode I obtained from everytownresearch.org. And finally, I'm really excited to tell you guys that I am now selling stickers on the website, $1.50 for one, $3 for three. All of the money spent on those stickers goes right back into the podcast and helps me to keep doing what I'm doing. Thank you so much for your support and I can't wait till the next episode.